Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is called, What is Love? Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode of the podcast. Today, or well, the day that this is being released is February 14th, Valentine's Day. So I wanted to discuss a little bit about the idea of love as it relates to religion and deity. I think there are some issues with the presentation of a loving God in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and to a certain extent, Christianity as a whole. Now, before I get too far into this, those that listened last week in episode 37, Dust Off Your Feet, you may be wondering whether or not I heard from our our friend Z, this internet troll. And as of this recording, I have not heard from our friend. It appears that I made an episode entirely dedicated to a troll in vain. Maybe someday down the road he'll listen, and uh, (laughs) I'll be sure to let you know if I hear from him. Now, the title of this episode is a reference to the 1993 song, What is Love? I will spare you having to listen to me sing, so I won't uh, won't actually sing the song. (laughs) I thought it a fitting title, What is Love? Baby, Don't Hurt Me. Let's jump into this subject. One of my favorite things about about doing this podcast is the interaction I have with some of the listeners. After I released the episode last week, I had a listener reach out and share an awesome insight. And uh, here is what she said. This listener is named Jennifer. And I have, I have to thank her. She actually gave me an excellent idea for an episode that I'll release either next week or the following. And she uh, brought to my attention an article from the church newsroom that's, that's very interesting. I will save that discussion uh, for a few weeks. For now, she actually sent a comment about the subject of last week. And this is what Jennifer said. I'm 10 and a half minutes into your episode about dusting off your feet, and I love that you talked about the nature of a loving God and condemnation. I'm a teacher and long ago concluded that God as educator would not give a final assessment and then assign eternity based on the results. They would continue to try and teach for as long as it takes, no matter how many lessons it takes. I coach a student with anger management problems, and we conferenced yesterday about how he could cope with his feelings in more productive ways. He asked me why I didn't just kick him off the team. I told him I'd never give up on him, and that I was here for him until he graduates and beyond. I can't imagine saying anything else to that child. I think that a God worth believing in wouldn't give up either. 
I love, I love this sentiment and this, this contrast that she's explaining here in this, with this brief story about a student. The, the analogy is, is fairly clear. You know, if the teacher loves her student, she would not give up on them. If God loves his children, he or she would not give up on them. It's a pretty, it's a pretty clear parallel that you can see there. One of my favorite things that she said was right there at the end. I think that a God worth believing in wouldn't give up either. A God worth believing in. My wife and I had a recent debate about the existence of God, and she is sad that I don't believe anymore. And I understand her emotions. I get it. Had the roles been reversed, I would have much the same emotions that she is expressing. The way Jennifer phrased this right here sums up perfectly the way I look at the Judeo-Christian God. A God worth believing in looks nothing like the Christian God that I'm presented with. If I want to believe in God, I can't believe in it the way that it's been presented to me. Anyway, I'm kind of going off on a tangent. I'm trying to talk about love and I'm getting sidetracked. So I want to illustrate with some words of uh, President Russell M. Nelson, a contrast between unconditional love and conditional love. Now, this citation comes from an Ensign article back in 2003 that uh, Elder, Elder Nelson at the time wrote about love. And he's talking about divine love. So I'll give what he, how he defines divine love and then how he characterizes it as conditional. Here's what he says. And this is just, you know, if you go and, if you go and look this up, these are the first couple of paragraphs. So this is kind of his thesis that he's going to talk about in this essay. He's talking about God and he says, their love is divine by definition. Scriptures also describe it as perfect. It is infinite because the atonement was an, was an act of love for all who ever lived, who now live, and who will ever live. It is also infinite because it transcends time. While divine love can be called perfect, infinite, enduring, and universal, it cannot be correctly characterized as unconditional. The word does not appear in the scriptures. On the other hand, many verses affirm that the higher levels of love the Father and the Son feel for each of us, and certain divine blessings stemming from that love, are conditional. Before citing examples, it is well to recognize various forms of conditional expressions in the scriptures. And then he goes and he cites a, nu a number of them. He's correct. I think that reading the scriptures literally. I think you can come to this very same conclusion that he's come to, that God's love is conditional. And he goes on and he cites a number of passages that say essentially this, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that keepeth my commandments is he that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. When looking at the relationship between a day of judgment, sin, repentance, this whole aspect of religion and the afterlife, it presents a conditional version of love. 
talk later on in this in this um, essay. I don't believe it was a talk, so I, I'm pretty sure it was an essay in the Ensign, February 2003. He delineates between levels of love. He says that immortality is given to all God's children unconditionally. But then he delineates eternal life as being a conditional gift to those that follow the commandments and get their, you know, that follow the covenant path. He didn't use that in here, but it's, it's essentially what he's trying to say. Those that follow the covenant path will get both the unconditional immortality, but they will also receive the conditional eternal life. And for those that are unfamiliar with some of these terms, when they say eternal life, they're talking about eternal progression. It's this concept that's hinted at and but not usually openly discussed of the the idea of apotheosis or becoming one with God or becoming like God. In my mind, this idea right here presents a contradiction. I would love to hear from maybe a listener that might disagree with me. In my perspective, love, perfect love, is by definition unconditional. Perfect love is unconditional. So to illustrate what I mean by this, I'm going to go back to this example that Jennifer gave, and we'll talk about the relationship between a teacher and a student. And we'll, we'll say that in one example, this teacher loves the student conditionally. And in the second example, the teacher loves the student unconditionally. A conditional version of this is the teacher would say to the student, I will help you out. You can stay on the team or, you know, I will, I will be there with you as long as you follow these rules. If you break these rules, I will no longer help you. I will no longer love you. If you lose your temper, I will no longer love you. If you don't wear the underwear that I tell you to wear, I will no longer love you. If you drink coffee or tea, I will no longer love you and help you. What parent, what teacher, what, what person could honestly look at love and think that those ideas are compatible? How could love, a pure and perfect version of love, be compatible with conditions like this? Now, I want to be clear, this isn't to say that, that people don't make mistakes or can't make mistakes or do horrible, horrible things because they can. This Jennifer was explaining that this student has anger management issues. He's going to lose his temper. He might hurt someone's feelings or hurt someone physically. If this teacher loves the student conditionally, the minute he breaks a rule, he will no longer be accepted and be taught and guided and, and counseled. But an unconditional version of this would recognize the, the mistakes and help the child manage their anger for as many times as it takes. We could go in extremes. We could use examples of perhaps some of the most heinous and horrible people that, that lived on this planet. But even then, Every person that has ever lived is a product of their society and their culture. And a loving God would recognize that 
sticking on this, this idea of Hitler, he did some very horrible things, but he didn't invent anti-Semitism. Children aren't born with this idea that one race is superior to another. This is something that they're taught and given by society. So a loving God, even with the worst person imaginable, would recognize that there are outside components influencing them to make the decisions that they're making. And a God would still love this person. That doesn't mean that there wouldn't be penance or some sort of requirement of atonement, if you will, or repentance for a mistake or a grievance. If you have ever seen the show, The Good Place, it presents a version of the afterlife that I love. I absolutely love it. It takes a while to get there. Um, And actually, honestly, The Good Place is perhaps one of my favorite shows of all time, at least in the top five, as spoiler free as possible. So if you're planning on watching it, you've never seen it before, maybe skip ahead a minute or two. That was your spoiler warning for a show that has already ended its run, which, by the way, you know, there there are clear there is a spoiler etiquette. Go ahead and Google it. And me talking about this does not break the spoiler etiquette. Enough time has passed from the the season finale and the the ideas that we're discussing. So near the end of the show, they try and formulate an idea of a better version of the afterlife. One where everyone is given the chance, everyone, to make the changes necessary to get into heaven. And this this chance is entirely based on them. If they're willing to put in the work, they can get there. It shifts this concept of hell or eternal punishment away from an outside force assigning you an eternity to an internal source of someone either wanting to better themselves or not. And in my mind, I think that is a much more unconditionally loving version of the afterlife than the one presented in the Judeo-Christian scriptures. Well, honestly, if you, <laughs> if you read the, the New Testament, Old Testament, you won't find anything in there, period, that even remotely resembles the afterlife as it's presented by any form of Christianity, let alone Mormonism. Most of the ideas and concepts that people have about the afterlife are based on Dante's Inferno. That's where most of the concepts of the afterlife that we have today come from. You know, Joseph Smith kind of reflavored and rebranded the whole thing. In my mind, when he was Coming up with these ideas, from my perspective, I do not think that it was divine revelation that told him about the afterlife. I think he was personally grappling with this same idea. How could a loving God assign eternal punishment to any of his children? And he comes up with this idea of a tiered version of heaven, which I think is is pretty cool, especially coming from the Christianities that came before him. He's grappling with this idea, this concept of a loving God, and he's coming up with a different version of what the judgment could look like. But as we've been discussing, it still has many of these same problems, but it does fix some of them. 
the way I was taught as a child in movies, shows, in just the example that I've seen in my own culture about love is a very conditional and transactional version of love. But as I've matured, and especially after deconstructing religion, I look at love much differently than I did before. I try and align myself with a more unconditional version of love. Now, my wife believes in God, and she's raising my children, teaching them about about her faith in God and the beliefs that she has in that. If I love my children unconditionally, that means that I have to be okay with the possibility that they could be Mormon for their whole life, or they could belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Didn't want to, you know, have any victories for Satan out there or offend anybody. The minute I put an expectation on the type of person my children should be in order for me to accept them, my love has become transactional. If you do this, I will love you. And frankly, that is not love. And this was a very hard lesson for my wife and I to learn. For a long time, we both operated under that that very idea in our relationship with each other. If you do this, then I will love you. If you do the dishes, if you help, you know, do XYZ project for me, if you, whatever it is, this love was very transactional. If I hang out with a friend and get a break from the kids, then she has to also hang out with a friend and get a break from the kids. Everything, everything was transactional, trying to work for perfect fairness in everything. I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit. <laughs> But the point, the point I'm trying to make is when I deconstructed religion, I no longer fit one of the conditions that we had on our relationship for this love. I was no longer a Christian. I was no longer a believer in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I broke one of these conditions. And then from my perspective as well, I wanted her to follow me down this path of deconstruction. And she has, to her credit. She is very nuanced and she thinks very critically about her beliefs, recognizes many of the things that that we discuss here on this podcast. She's a very thoughtful and dedicated woman, but she has chosen faith. And that's her choice to make. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. She didn't follow me down this path. And I could have set this condition on her. Well, I'm not going to love you anymore if you don't follow me down this path of religious deconstruction. And she could have easily said, I'm not going to love you anymore because you no longer believe in God. That is conditional love. But this whole process of deconstruction forced us to reevaluate our relationship forced us to communicate in ways that we never did before. We learned how to disagree and still love each other. And frankly, some of my favorite conversations with her are when we do disagree. Because in, in my head, and, and I think this is natural for a lot of people, we, get, we build up these straw men or we build up these, these ideas of how the opposing argument 
is wrong because X, Y, and Z. But when you sit down and have an honest conversation with someone who disagrees with you, they have thought out their position just as much as you and I have. So I, I love disagreeing with her because through this whole process, we've learned to separate our love from each other, from being mad at each other or disappointed and, and angry about a circumstance. I recognize this, the way that this has unfolded for my family is not going to look the same for everyone. There are many families that are broken because of religious deconstruction. This love is tested and it's proven to be conditional. But that's the key. The relationships that stick and work. The love that endures is unconditional. So we can apply that directly back to deity. In my mind, if we ascribe a conditional version of love to God, then that is not perfect and pure love. It can't be. Now, it's Valentine's Day. Or for those listening off in the future, it was Valentine's Day when this came out. Think about love today. Think about the people that you love. Think about the decisions they've made that, that you disagree with. For those that have children, do your children make all the decisions that you think are right? Do you love them any less for it? If your child were in prison for having committed some sort of crime, would you, would you stop visiting them? Would you stop loving them even though you know they made a mistake? The more we think about and practice this type of love, we can expand that circle from our spouse and our children to our extended family, to our friends, to our communities. The world would be a much better place if we all truly treated each other as one humanity, not a number of disparate nations with different ideas, but if we recognize that we are the same species, we are one humanity. And that, in my mind, if there is a God out there and she's listening or given her thoughts on things, that's the type of love that I envision if deity has perfect, pure love. But hey, I could be wrong. Perhaps there's a listener out there that, that thinks that a conditional version of love is better than an unconditional one. I talked about expanding this circle outward. You need to also expand it inward too and love yourself unconditionally. Recognize that you will make mistakes and be okay with imperfection and the struggles of everyday life. All right, I'm going to step off my soapbox. I have a lot more I want to say about this because I think that it's an important subject. And next week, I'm going to discuss a little bit more about it um, using the Aristotelian model of the different types of friendship. And uh, I'll go into this a little bit more because I think it's really fascinating. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this made your commute or washing the dishes or eating a ham sandwich even better. Or if you're sitting at work working on something important, I hope that you have 
an excellent day.